This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. We'll begin reading in verse 19. This morning we began in this passage, and um, introduced the first point to you, and Concluded that tonight with God's help, the Holy Spirit guiding us. I hope that we can uh, get through uh, this passage, Hebrews chapter number 10 and uh, verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I want us to pray together, ask the Lord to guide and help us as we look together in his word. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we gather here today to, to hear from you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable me to proclaim it in clarity and in understanding. I pray that you would help us to receive your word and to understand your love for your church and help us, Lord Jesus, to be stirred to a greater understanding of the work of God and the church of God and to find our place in it and be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen. We began this morning looking at this subject, the essential gathering, which is the church. And we noted that in verse number 25, the Bible said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We read this phrase, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, we understand that the assembling refers to the public meetings of the church. And we've learned that by definition, the church is an assembly. It is not a building. It is not a meeting place. The church is an assembly. It is an assembly of baptized believers, and those believers have joined together to do the work that God has called them to do, and together uh, we gather to worship the name of the Lord Jesus. 
and together we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, and together we grow uh, revealing his glory to a lost and dying world. Uh, this assembling of ourselves together, as we mentioned this morning, uh, is not a solitary or occasional act, but is a customary conduct. It is to Christ himself that we have gathered. He is our new and living way. He is the one who has purchased for us by the nature of his blood sacrifice upon the cross our access into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. Therefore, to forsake the assembly is to betray our attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to other believers. And so may God help us to understand that the church is essential. I mentioned this morning, it is our constitutional right to assemble, but more importantly, it is a biblical mandate. And we reviewed the fact that the church is essential to the Lord Jesus as he has stated that he loves the church and gave himself for it, that he is the founder of the church, and that he is the head of the church. And then we divided this passage of Scripture into three main ideas, the first of which we looked at this morning, the function of the church. We understand that our responsibility in the church uh, and as a church and as individuals in the church is threefold. We have a Godward responsibility given to us in verse number 22 to come together to worship the Lord. He is worthy of our worship. And we are to worship him uh, with a pure heart and a pure motive. And we are to come into his presence having prepared our hearts, having cleansed our hearts and minds, having confessed our sins, seeking him. He is worthy of our worship. That is our Godward responsibility. Then there is an inward responsibility, verse 23, that we would hold fast our profession without wavering. And we understand there are many in our day who are wavering in their profession. We hear of people, who, many who have led churches and authored books who now have turned away from the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is a manward responsibility in verses 24 and 25, and this, of course, makes up uh, the bulk of what we're looking at in this message. Verse 24, let us consider one another. Uh, this is a manward responsibility to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We noted in Deuteronomy chapter 31 that the Lord gives a pattern for the gatherings of the assembly uh, he gives us this pattern as Moses is preparing the people to enter into the land. And, of course, Moses uh, was their leader. He was a prophet of God. And the Bible calls this uh, multitude who wandered in the wilderness the church in the wilderness. And uh, he told them in Deuteronomy 31, verses 12 through 13, that they were to gather together men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates that they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law. So it is the responsibility of the church, the assembly, to gather so that we may hear, so that we may learn, so that we may fear or reverence and acknowledge God, and so that we might observe his word. 
Having stated that, we looked at the fact that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are to proclaim the truth. We have a gospel commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we are to uh, assemble together and, and, and bring ourselves under the teaching of the Word of God that we may become mature Christians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We also noted that uh, we are living in a day when many will no, no longer, as Paul warned to Timothy, endure sound doctrine. But we're living in that day today. The truth is always under attack, and the church is to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered for the saints. And so we see here uh, the function of the church. Now we move forward, and we'll see, secondly, the fruit of of the church. The fruit of the church is essential. Now, I want you to notice in verse number 24, again, as we look at our passage, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. As we come together, we are not just coming with a consumer mentality. The consumer mentality says, I want to go to a church where I can get what I need. God has not simply placed you in the church simply to get what you need. Although, if you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, you're going to get what you need. A steady diet on the Word of God provides you with the sustenance that you need. But we come... To serve, we come not simply considering ourselves, but we come considering one another. That's what the Bible tells us in verse four, uh, 24. Let us consider one another. And why do we consider one another? That we might provoke, that we might stir one another unto two things, to love and to good works. The church is to fill a sour world with sweet fruit. <laughs> Boy, we live in a, a sour world, don't we? A hate-filled world. And may God help us to fill it with sweet fruit, which blesses God and brings glory to God. The Bible said that when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, John chapter 15, and thereby we will glorify God. And so the fruit of the church brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus. That's why it is something that we should invest in. Our labor, our energy, our passion, our silver and gold, we must invest in the work of God. It brings glory to God, and it blesses the world. The world is blessed by the fruit of the church. Now, there's two things I want us to look at concerning the essential fruit of the church. First of all, the fruit of the church is essential for the salvation of souls. The fruit of the church is essential for the salvation of souls. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41, uh, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God filled the disciples and the gospel was proclaimed and many heard the message of the gospel. And as they heard the message of the gospel, uh, they believed on the name of the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the Bible said, Then they that gladly received his word, that is their salvation. 
they received his word. They gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I want to ask you a question. What is more important, the material, the physical, or the eternal and the spiritual? God definitely teaches us that it is the spiritual. It is the eternal that is of greater value. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Imagine that you could own everything this world has to offer. Uh, there was one man who had a very similar experience to that. His name was Solomon. And Solomon teaches us that all of the things of this world, apart from Christ, will leave a man empty and void. A man that will enjoy all the pleasures of this world, but will not uh, obey the Lord and walk in fellowship with him. will conclude as Solomon did in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and uh, verse number 17 when he said, Therefore, I hated life. Life apart from God will leave you unhappy, vain, and empty. And what shall it profit a man if you were to gain the whole world and then at the end of your life lose your own soul? Enter into eternity to suffer an eternal damnation in an awful place called hell because you rejected the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, Within 30 seconds in hell, a lifetime of enjoyment will be forgotten. It will be for naught because an eternity in hell is a tragic, tragic end. And we understand that God places great value on the soul. And the church is here to proclaim the soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I want to submit to you that the most important entity, organism, organization that you will find upon the face of the earth is the local New Testament church. And the fruit of the church brings souls to Christ. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, the Bible said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We have been dealing with this pandemic in our nation for nearly a year. Numbers of people have been ill. Numbers of people have died. Our entire way of life uh, has changed in, in many regards. People are gripped with fear. They are concerned about their health. But they are, are, are seemingly very reluctant to address the great need of their life. It's not their, just simply their physical life. It is their eternal life and their eternal destination. There's much talk about the vaccine and receiving the vaccine and, and being able to return to normalcy. 
And I hope that bears out to be true. I really do. But there is such a preoccupation with physical health that has come at the expense of spiritual health. The church is here to give the greatest medicine one could ever receive. It is the only medicine that can cure to the world what is an incurable condition, the condition of sin, the depravity of the human soul, the darkness, the condemnation, the guilt that all sinners bear can only be removed when they respond in faith to the soul-saving message of the gospel. And if the church ceases to teach and preach the message of the gospel, even if it comes at the value of health for the citizens, but leads to the eternal destruction of their souls, then we have failed in our mission. And so the Bible tells us, fear not them which kill the body, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You would think with all that has happened in our nation, the pandemic, the economic situation, the division, the hatred, the strife that uh, runs through our nation, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the wickedness that is pervasive, you would think that the citizens of our nation would begin to recognize that the true pandemic is one that cannot be tested in a biological lab but it is one that resides in a deeper place in the soul of man and that we would humble ourselves and look to God for the answers. And so may God help us as a church to recognize that our ministry is essential. The salvation of souls depends greatly upon the faithfulness of the church to proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, when I just read this passage to you, on one day the church grew from 120 members who were gathered in an upper room to 3,120. Shortly thereafter, after uh, Peter's message at the beautiful gate, the healing of the lame man, the church would grow to a number of 8,120. And then forward, numbers untold would come to Christ across the streets of the city of Jerusalem, throughout the regions of Judea, into Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And it would continue for years on end until this very hour where we are gathered here today as the church of the living God. And our mission remains the same, to preach the gospel to every creature and to get the soul-saving message uh, to the citizens of our community and around the world. Think of the lives changed. Think of the homes restored. Think of the brokenness that has been mended, those in bondage who have been freed. I want to say to you that the church is essential. The fruit of the church is essential because it brings salvation to the souls of men. 
I want to say to you that the church is essential. And the fruit of the church is essential not only for the salvation of souls, but for the stability of a society. For the stability of a society. Look with me, if you would, please, in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, we'll go and look at verse number 13, a familiar passage of Scripture to uh, many of us. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all them that are in the house. God's people are, are, are compared here by the Lord Jesus as the salt of the earth and as a light to the world. You see, Changed souls change society. Changed souls change society. The reason that we have seen such decline in our nation, the reason that we see such immorality and wickedness, the reason that we see leaders in government positions who lack discernment, who lack any gravity and fear of God, who celebrate the murder of untold millions of babies in the womb, who rejoice and celebrate all forms of evil wickedness, who have sinned against the laws of nature. The reason we see this is because they have not been, uh, they, their lives have not been changed by the soul-saving message of the gospel. And when the church... Uh, begins to wane in its work, when it begins to fade in its influence, then we see a society that is heading for destruction. And I want to tell you that the ministry of the church is essential for the stability of a society. Now, the church here is, is spoken of the people of God, and we are the people of God as the church of God, as seasoning salt and as a shining light. Now, a church with no savor or shine is a church without impact. I do not want to have church just simply to have church. Do you? I, I pray that God will allow me, and I, I trust that you pray that God will allow you that we can be a part of his work and his body and that we will make a real and definite impact in our community for the glory of God, that we will see souls saved and lives changed and a society that has a knowledge of God and a reverence of God and a respect for human life. Now, seasoning salt is of great value. Number one, it pleases. It pleases. It brings savor to the food. Now, I, I often have a bad habit. I grab the salt shaker without even testing my food sometimes. Uh, that's not a good thing. I shouldn't do that, but... I like to season 
my food. Now, I've noticed as I've gotten older, I, I don't need as much salt as I used to, and I find myself playing the role that my dad played for so many years. Do you find yourself playing the role that your parents used to play? I watch my children grab the salt shaker, and I mean, it seems like they're shaking and shaking and shaking and shaking. And I'm like, hey, you know, hold off. That's not good for you. <laughs> I hear the voice of my father in my mind as I say that. But, you know, if you're going to eat something and it has no seasoning to it, you need a little salt. Now, some people like pepper. I don't like pepper. I like salt. It makes food savory. Why do you eat potato chips or pretzels? Because you want something salty. It pleases you. It purifies. Salt purifies. The church has a pleasing effect and a purifying effect in this world. And the church and salt preserve. That's why you get that country ham, and it has so much salt in it. The salt was there to preserve the meat. And so salt pleases, it purifies, and it preserves. And the impact of the church in this world is to make it more pleasing, to make it more pure, and to preserve. The other analogy that the Lord uses here is that in verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Not only are we then seasoning salt, but we are a shining light, the light of the world. If the world is going to find light, there is only one source. That is the Lord Jesus that is his word. And that light is reflected in his church. We are to bear the image of Christ. We are to shine the light of the message of the gospel and the word of God into a dark world. And what light does is it dispels darkness. We're dealing with darkness in our nation and in our world. And we have the answer to the darkness we have the light. So may God help us to get our lantern and hold it up high and to live our lives spreading the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you to go with me to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. Remember now, we're, we're, we're at this thought. The fruit of the church is essential because it saves souls, but it is essential also for the stability of a society. And the church is to shine and it is to season. But notice in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22, here we have another picture. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. A Spirit-filled Christian and a Spirit-filled church will demonstrate and bear the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to work it up. It comes naturally. 
When you plant the seed in the soil and the water is applied, what happens? The seed begins to grow and the sprout shoots forth and, and the vegetation comes out of the ground and eventually the fruit is there. Uh, what we find is that if we are a spirit-filled church walking in the light of God's truth, committed to him and to his work, we will demonstrate the fruit of the spirit. And that fruit manifolds itself in these graces, love. Oh, the world needs love, doesn't it? Joy. Remember now, joy is not based on circumstance. That's happiness. That's what's based on circumstance. Joy is based on what we know. And what we know comes to us from the word of God. Peace. Oh, how our world needs peace. And oh, how so many in this age are divided and full of hatred and enmity, but also they lack the inner peace and their hearts and lives are gripped with fear. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ filled with the spirit is a place and a people filled with peace. Then there's long suffering and there's gentleness and there's goodness and there's faith and there's meekness and there's temperance. These are the fruits of the spirit. And we are to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And as we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the world will be changed. It will become a better place. Now, I said to you this morning, imagine we took the church out of the United States of America or out of the world. I want to tell you, our nation would look dramatically different. I want, I want you to think about the impact that Christians and the church have had throughout the centuries uh, in our world and in our nation. Uh, think of the orphanages that have been established by Christian people to provide care for children who had no parents. The homes that were built and constructed to house these children. I think of ministries like pregnancy care centers that are all across our nation, and they are there to put uh, a little bit of shoe leather, if you would, uh, to the uh, pro-life position. We believe in the sanctity of life. By the way, if you study the history of the Christian church, in the, in the Greece, in the heavily influenced Greece, Grecian culture, and under the Roman Empire, infanticide was a common practice, a common practice. It was the people of God who stood against abortion and infanticide. And now there are pregnancy care centers across the country where uh, women who are uh, with child can go. Uh, maybe they're filled with fear, and they've never heard the message of the gospel and they really don't know what to do, and they're looking for hope, and there's something within them that says, <clears throat> I don't think it's right for me to have my child put to death, so maybe these people can help me. I want to say thank God for pregnancy care centers. I want to say thank God for the pregnancy care center of Catawba Valley and all of the work that goes on there on a daily basis. <clears throat> I think about Christian adoption agencies to help children find a home. Uh, 
What a blessing it is that the Christian church cares about young people enough to adopt young people and provide agencies to assist them in the adoption. Here in the United States, the adoption laws are very, very difficult. And families who seek to adopt uh, go to great, great expenses. Uh, would, to be, would to God that we could find a way as a nation to, to be able to encourage adoption. And what a great thing for Christian families to do, adopting children or taking children in for foster care. And then think about this, the daycares and the preschools that have been established by Christian people that are housed in churches, that are run by the members of those churches, that have the mission to get the message of the gospel to those children. Think about those wonderful things. Uh, The Bible says that Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, how did that get in his heart? I want to tell you how it got in his heart. In his infancy and in his preschool years, his mother nursed him and brought him up and taught him the truth of God. And you and I, if if we've been in church most of our lives, we can probably remember going to the preschool Sunday school class saying if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. And uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And if your name is Zacchaeus, I apologize to you tonight. I didn't write the song, I just quoted. And that was before it was politically correct, or incorrect rather, not to sing songs about one stature. Aren't you glad for the church? Schools and colleges. Do you know the secularists have tried to take over education? They've tried to take it over. But education uh, was a movement that was started by people who love and know God. In fact, God commanded his people to train the children. And in the early part of uh, the first century, it was the church who began to educate both sexes, male and female, in the Roman world and in the the Grecian world, that was not an acceptable practice. Only the males were educated. But the church began to educate both male and female. And it was Christian people who called for universal education, not one just based to a certain class or a socioeconomic status uh, or a certain ethnicity. It was the Christian people who called uh, for the education of all people. Here in America, uh, many of our universities and colleges were established by Christian people. Uh, D.L. Moody was an evangelist who constantly sought opportunities uh, to win people to Christ. At the outbreak of the Civil War, D.L. Moody noticed that there was a training camp for Union soldiers near to where he was in Chicago, and he went into that training camp and began to preach to those soldiers and began to train chaplains to go out with the Union soldiers, and they would declare the message of the gospel. Many of those soldiers got saved. There was a general whose name was General Oliver Otis Howard. General Howard was greatly influenced by D.L. Moody. He was a Christian a committed and godly man. Uh, 
he was so touched by the dreadful plight of the slaves that General Howard started a university to educate those children of those slaves. That university is called Howard University. It was started by a Christian man who wanted to see slaves get an education and most importantly, come to Jesus. Now, many universities uh, throughout our nation began uh, and was started by Christian people. Harvard was named after a Christian minister. Yale was started by clergymen. And Princeton was, uh, was a place started by the Reverend Jonathan Dickinson. The crest at the University of Princeton uh, was a Latin phrase that meant, under God, she flourishes. But what happened? Secularists have come in, haven't they? And hijacked education and turned it away from the truth of God's word and turned the hearts and minds of our young people uh, to darkness and to lies and to deception. I say that we need a revival of Christian education. We need a revival of Christian education. Uh, the message of God's truth taught in the classroom, preached in the chapel services, modeled by the staff, the love of Christ filling the place. This is what we need in this hour, and may God help us. And I want to thank this church for your commitment, for your stand, for your passion for the work of Christian education the past 50 years. Senior residence centers hospitals, shelters, soup kitchens, food pantries, rescue missions. Here in our community, Safe Harbor Rescue uh, Shelter started by a, a lady who at one time attended our church who had a burden for the work uh, of God and a desire to help people in our community. I think of the Durham Rescue Mission in Durham, North Carolina, and the gospel is proclaimed there, and many other such places. Think of the old days in the roll-off homes in the 70s and 80s, the men and the women whose lives were changed there, the young uh, children, the girls and the boys who, who were in the roll-off homes whose lives have been changed. It was Christian people. It was the church that established such ministries. How about benevolent organizations, charitable organizations, the Salvation Army, the Young Man's Christian Association, which is now turned away from its moorings. But there are many such organizations across our country that were started by Christian people. Thank God for the fruit of the church. Now imagine our nation without any of it a dry and barren land it would be. And so I would submit to you that the church is essential because of its fruit. The fruit of the church is essential for the salvation of souls, and the fruit of the church is essential for the stability of a society. Now I want us to look at this last thought. The fellowship of the church is essential. The fellowship of the church is essential. 
The Bible says in verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke into love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. The church is the, is the assembly of God's people, and we come together for fellowship. We come together to commune and meet with our Savior, and he is here in our midst. And we come not only to meet with him and to worship him, but we also come, and as a byproduct of that, we exhort one another. We consider one another as we come. So when I determine my schedule for the week and what I'm going to do on the Lord's Day or on the Wednesday evening, I must consider that I am a part of this assembly and that I have a responsibility to the Lord and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God has designed this journey to heaven not as a solo flight, but God has designed it so that we may go together. The church is the family of God. Aren't you glad to be a part of his family? He is our father, and therefore we are his children. And if you and I are his children, that makes us brothers and sisters, and we are bound together by our mutual faith in Christ, by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, by a common mission, and by our love for our Lord, and thereby we love one another. The church of the Lord Jesus is a wide and diverse body. People from all walks of life, backgrounds, and ethnicities are a part of the Lord's church. A church family consists of imperfect people who have daily struggles. Many have the wrong impression of the church. They think we come here to impress one another, and maybe there are those who do, but there's nothing impressive about any of us. We are all sinners. There's only one thing impressive that uh, we can find in the church, and that is the Savior and the work that he has done in our lives. That's the only thing that you will find impressive because we have our struggles, and but we gather to worship the one who saved us from sin, and we gather to learn more of him and his word. And as we gather, what happens? We find strength and encouragement from one another. A kind word, a, a note of instruction, a, a supportive arm, a, a tearful eye, a praying partner can do so much to help us to grow together as a church. It is wonderful to be a part of a loving and caring family of faith. And so may God help us to exhort one another and so much the more. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The word fellowship means participation. It means communion. Paul said it this way uh, to Philemon. He said, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. He said to Philemon, Philemon, I just want you to know you're the kind of guy that refreshes and encourages other believers. You see, this is a part of that fellowship. This is a part of our responsibility one toward another. Now, I'm going to give you a list very quickly. I mean really quick. And you won't have time 
to look up these verses, but you can write down the references. I want you to think about what the Bible says concerning our responsibility to one another and the fellowship that we have. Because the Bible tells us here that we are to consider one another and we are to provoke one another unto love and good works, that we are to exhort one another. You see, we are here to worship God and we are here for the benefit of one another. And let me just give you just a, a number of thoughts here very quickly. First of all, we see that we're to consider one another. That's in our passage. Then in Romans 12, 4 and 5, we understand that we are members of one body. And every one members one of another. Hey, we are joined together. Like your hand is joined to your arm, your fingers to your hand. We are not to be separated. We are joined together. And what one member does impacts and affects the other. We are members of one body, the church. Romans 12.10, we are to prefer one another. Romans 12.16, we are to be humble in our interactions with one another. Romans 14 and verse number 13, we are to be merciful and gracious to one another. Aren't you glad you can go back and watch this later and you can get all the notes? We are to edify one another. Romans 14 and verse number 19. We are to care equally for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. We are to forbear with one another. That means we're to be patient. We're to put up with some stuff. Did you hear what he said to me? It's okay. It's okay. You've probably said worse. Forbear one another. Did you see what they did? It's okay. It's okay. Bear one another, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Hey, we're to be kind to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. We are to submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. We are to forgive one another, Colossians 3.13. We are to instruct one another, Colossians 3.16. We are to love one another, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and 4.9. Also 1 John 4.7. We are to comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We are to pray for one another, James 5.16. We are to have compassion for one another, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. We are to practice hospitality towards one another, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 9. And we are to minister to one another, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 1. What a challenging list. This is what we are to do for one another. This is a part of our fellowship. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that together for you with all those references. And, and we'll get it in your hands in the coming days. This is the fellowship of the church. And we need each other. And God has made us a community, a family, and we come together. And may God help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The church is essential. It's essential in its function. We are declaring the message of God's word. It is essential in its fruit. 
The salvation of souls depend upon it, and the stability of a society depends upon it. And it is essential for fellowship. We need fellowship one with another. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.